Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Um, well, well, this is the final week of a series uh, on our everyday faith uh, out of the book of James. And I want to jump right in. We're going to be looking at uh, the kind of closing chapter of the book. So James chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. If you have your Bibles, you can get there or turn there or click there. Um, and then you can follow along with me. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, James chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, says this. Are any among you suffering? Uh, then they should pray. Are any cheerful? Uh, they should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? Then call the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. For the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed." For the prayer of a righteous is powerful and effective. Now Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if any among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, uh, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinners." This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, throughout the book of James, James has offered us wisdom for all kinds of different areas of our life. Uh, he has talked about the relationship of the people of faith to our money. Uh, he has shared wisdom of how we are to discern from true wisdom and false or fake wisdom. He's encouraged us to be patient in times of suffering. And he's even talked to us about the power of our words. And when you get right down to it, this is really the nitty-gritty of our faith, isn't it? Uh, these kinds of just sort of everyday things that are to be markers for the people of God. Um, what's interesting, though, is you could say that uh, these sorts of things are just general wisdom for all of life. Someone wouldn't need to be a person of faith to be encouraged toward these things. Um, and so James, in closing his letter, gets right down to a very religious practice. The practice for people who claim faith. Not just sort of like a good idea for anybody who finds themselves in this kind of shared thing called humanity. But this is for people of faith. He gets right down and talks to us about prayer. And so James ends his letter with a call to prayer. And in context, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, in the context, he's just talked about how Christians should live with patience and for hope for the one day when all things will be made right, which is something that we looked at in week one of the series, if you'll remember, patience in the midst of suffering. Uh, but his contention then is that these uh, moments of, of hope and patience should lead us into a life of faith-filled prayer. And so in context, these closing words make a lot of sense, but it also indicates 
that all these kind of nitty-gritty things of life, of our everyday faith, are in fact to be blanketed with prayer. And so he ends with sort of this very religious practice calling us into a life of prayer. And actually you can see this, uh, this kind of sense that all of these things of our lives, these nitty-gritty things of our lives, are to be covered in prayer. And you can get a sense of that in the ways that he marks out different parts of our lives and encourages us to pray. So he says, are any among you suffering? Then you should pray. Are you happy, cheerful? Then you should sing praises. And by the way, if you are ill, if you are sick, then you should invite others to come alongside of you and to pray for healing. Now, of course, these seasons of life that he's mentioned don't capture the fullness of the human experience, but they are representative of life. And what strikes me is the simplicity of the instruction. Uh, for those that are looking on a whole discourse of the, of the hows and the whys of prayer, you won't find it here. <laughs> Uh, so it's, there's a real simplicity to the instruction. When you find yourself suffering, you should pray. But James does not tell us how to pray. James does not tell us what to pray. You remember when the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray, then he actually gave them a prayer. Here's what you should pray. Here's how you should pray. But James doesn't do that. Uh, he, he just says that we should pray in the midst of our suffering. And so without further comment, we are left to wonder what in the world does he mean? Does he mean that to, to pray will help to anchor me in the midst of this suffering? Uh, does he mean to say that prayer will help bring new perspective? Uh, does he mean to say that um, Prayer will actually have an effect on the situation and move the needle more in a more favorable direction. For now, we're actually left wondering. We don't have the answers to those questions. And so he just moves right on. If you are happy, if you are cheerful, then you should sing praises. But again, he doesn't tell us one of his favorite songs. He doesn't give us the top 40 chart of the current Christian radio. <laughs> he just says, if you find yourself cheerful, then you should sing praises, which, again, without further commentary, but he seems to be saying that the songs of praise that we sing are themselves prayers. I thought for sure Daniel would give me an amen. <laughs> That's right. In other words, prayer is not just something that we say when we need help, but prayer is also this way of, of praising God for His good gifts. I, I've heard uh, different structures of how we're to pray uh, in our lives, and, and many of the structures say, don't just jump right into what you need, but spend time praising God and thanking God for the good things in your life, right? And so we try to do that. Uh, as a family and in our own lives. But there's this sense in which uh, that our praises are themselves a type of prayer. And, and then he says, in the moments when you are sick, when, when the effects of sin have found their way into your bodies, this, this kind of broken world, and I'm not trying to create a causal relationship to, between illness and sin, but this kind of brokenness in our world 
and our, the fact that our bodies get sick. He says, invite church leaders, mentors, fellow Christians to pray over you and to anoint you with oil for healing. And then he says that the prayer of faith will save the sick and that your sins will be forgiven. Um, can I let you in on a little secret? I'm a bit of a skeptic. Um, I tend to ask a lot of questions. And so when the scripture says things like the prayer of faith will save the sick, I all of a sudden just have a lot of questions rolling around in my head. Does that mean that if someone isn't healed, then they didn't have enough faith? Does that mean that the people praying didn't pray often enough or hard enough? Does that mean that their relationship with God when they prayed was somehow broken? I mean, if, the, if this sort of is stated in such a clear and distinct way, the prayer of faith will save the sick, then what happens when it doesn't? I know that Christians, and I'm sure that I've done this at some point, uh, always kind of have a way of, of working around these sorts of questions by saying that the person is ultimately healed in heaven, right? Um, but a lot of times, if I'm honest, I find some of the ways that we Christians and people of faith tend to try to work around these difficult questions, I find a lot of the answers rather unsatisfactory. And then there's another set of questions that I alluded to earlier, which is, why does James bring in the forgiveness of sin? Is he, in fact, trying to make a connection between illness and sinfulness as though one had caused the other? Uh, in John chapter 9, though, we have the disciples who actually try to do this exact thing, where there is a man who is blind, and, and the disciples go to Jesus and say, well, is it this man's sin or the sin of his parents that has caused his blindness? And, and Jesus, they're trying to create, in other words, this causal relationship between this man's blindness and the sin or the generation of sin that he's kind of lived into. And Jesus does not refuses to make this link. He says there's no link between sinfulness and this man's blindness and yet, at the same time, many of the healing stories, like the one in Mark chapter 2, talk about healing and forgiveness as though they're two sides of the same coin. So what in the world is going on here? <laughs> we have all these questions. We have like no real tangible or practical teaching on prayer. And so what is James trying to do? Well, here's the thing. Um, I really don't think that James is trying to be deterministic. In other words, I don't think that he's setting out a guarantee that if you pray in all these ways or in all of the right ways, then your prayers will be answered in the precise way that you prayed them. That kind of interpretation to this verse or verses like it just simply does not match the human experience. And the reality is, if I can be honest with you, right, I'm, I'm just on, I'm on fire this morning because I'm in person, and it's good to preach to people, okay? So, uh, so here, can I, can I be honest with you? That kind of interpretation, not only does it not match the human experience, but it can also do, it can run the risk of doing some spiritual damage in people's lives, where people pray fervently, 
for healing. And if it doesn't come in the way that we've prayed, that can leave people with just this burden of guilt, believing that there's something wrong with them, that they're not praying hard enough or just quantity of enough, you know? And so, if James isn't trying to be deterministic, then, and he's not really offering us any practical tips of how to pray, then what is James actually saying? Well, I think that in this passage, James is trying to make an important connection. He's trying to make a connection for us. And that is, is that prayer is where healing and forgiveness of the age to come can intersect with the illness and sin of the present age. Okay? So he's trying to make this connection that prayer is the point in which, you might say it this way, heaven and earth overlap. That there's this, when we pray, we are bringing the the healing and the forgiveness of heaven into the illness and sin of earth and praying this sort of cloak over uh, these, these realities in the present age. Does that make sense? Uh, in other words, he's giving us and pointing us to evidence of the power of prayer. Uh, let me say it this way. Um, when I was a kid, I went to... Um, my family went to the International Peace Gardens in Manitoba, Canada. Um, anybody like uh, everybody's kind of looking at me like, what is that? Um, so it's this like be- so it's this beautiful garden filled with hiking trails, this kind of big uh, fountain in the middle, lots of other like attractions and museums and, and all these kinds of things. Uh, but it's it's situated right on the USA Canada border. So that right where the, the garden fountain is, and there's a, there's a big flagpole with both of the nation's flags, you can actually uh, stand on the border uh, of USA Canada so that you have one foot in, in, the, uh, in America while you have the other foot in Canada. And I remember when I was a kid, I had to really stretch to get across that boundary, right? And I just remember being totally fascinated by the fact that I was in two nations at once. This was a a phenomenal thing when I was a kid. And and so what James is actually indicating is that that prayer is kind of like that. That that when you pray, you stand with one foot in the world as it is. Filled with sickness, filled with sin, filled with all kinds of trouble. But when we pray, we've kind of got this other foot stepped into God's new creation, filled with healing and forgiveness and hope. And so prayer brings new creation to bear on old creation or on creation as we know it in such a way that we can then have the possibility of experiencing healing, forgiveness, mercy, and love. I've already said it, but let me say it again. Another way of thinking about this is that prayer is the place where heaven and earth meet or overlap. It's the place where our present time overlaps with God's future time. And so he says, essentially, are you suffering? 
Do you find yourself in a really difficult circumstance? Then you should pray. And the implication, though, in all of the passage surrounding this is, in fact, that when you pray, you place one foot firmly in God's new world. And when others pray for you, they place their foot in God's new creation on your behalf so that you can experience peace in the midst of your suffering. So the question is, does, does, peace, or, or does prayer give you peace? Does it give you new perspective? Does it move the needle in a more favorable direction? The answer is yes. Yes to all of those. Because when we pray, we're bringing God's new creation to bear on our current predicament. So that from time to time, the fullness of heaven's healing can come down. Are you happy? Are you cheerful? Are you in a season of life where you are experiencing the outpouring of God's blessing? Then sing praises. Because when you sing, you place a foot in heaven and join your voice with the heavenly hosts who are singing praises to God. That you, in a very real and tangible way, join your voice with the voices currently singing praise to God, who have sung praise to God in the past and who will sing praise to God in the future because no pandemic can bring down this thing we call church. You with me? And while we weren't meeting in person, the church was never closed because every Sunday mornings, this group right here, those gathered online in their homes today, we would all be in our living rooms or our offices or our spaces at home using whatever devices and joining our voices together with one another and all of the heavenly hosts singing praise to God, praying prayers and giving our attention to the proclamation of God's word. See, you can't close down the church. <laughs> We don't need the government to tell us the church is essential, right? We knew that all along. Are you sick? Do you find yourself in a time where your physical body is fighting ailments? Then take the earthly material of oil, rub it on our bodies crafted from the dirt, and pray for healing. And the use of this earthly material for the anointing of the sick reminds us that our healing that God intends for us is not just spiritual, but physical as well. Are you with me? That the God that we praise, the God that we sing praises to, is not just concerned with saving souls out of here and into a different place, but the work of salvation and redemption accomplished in Christ includes our bodies and creation itself. And this is modeled when we take oil and rub it on our bodies made from dirt and we pray for God's healing. The stories of healing in the Bible, the stories of healing that we hear today are tangible evidence of God's new creation coming to bear on our own world. To anoint with oil while praying is to have one foot in heaven while the other one is on earth so that heaven and earth overlap because James insists that there is spiritual healing and physical healing 
for us, which is maybe why and gives us a hint why he includes the forgiveness of sin as well. That the healing of God is not just physical, but not just spiritual. The whole scope of redemption is a both and. Now, even as a pastor, my whole life I have struggled with prayer. Like, when Grace says, do you feel like God's listening? I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm not so sure sometimes, right? Do you feel like you're just talking to yourself? Yep, yeah, sometimes. This is why written prayers have helped me. Um, But my whole life, I've just kind of like, prayer has always been this struggle. But this this mental picture, this, this image of planting one foot well, I've already got one foot in, in creation, right? Like right here on earth, I am firmly planted, fully aware of the news cycle and the struggles, and not just in my own life, but the lives of, of people around the world. So I've got one foot planted there, but when I pray, I can plant another foot in God's new creation so that I'm sort of living in both realities at the same time, so that I'm joining my voice with how, God, how Jesus taught us to pray, that his will would be done on earth as in heaven, and that his kingdom would come. And so this picture has really, really helped me. And I don't know what you've thought about prayer. I don't know if you've struggled with it. I don't know if, it, if you are a prayer warrior that spends hours a day on your knees, which I say, Lord, bless you. That is a phenomenal thing. Maybe you've sometimes felt like prayer is kind of a superstitious activity for the super religious. Yeah? Kind of praying for things that you sort of wish for and just sort of this religious, ex- religious expression. I want to encourage you today wherever you're at with this thing called prayer. The prayer, I think we can learn from the book of James, is about standing in the gap and bringing more of God's kingdom to bear on our lives. And James ends his book on, uh, about everyday faith. He ends it with prayer because in order to live with an everyday faith, we are going to need to have one foot in heaven and one foot in earth. Amen? Like, we're going to need this. This is a, this is a thing that you've got to have. Uh, sometimes you hear, uh, pastors used to say, uh, no, I can't come up with a saying, but it was like, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good, right? So there's sort of like this one, one side where you can just be so super spiritualized that everything, you just like, you don't have any foot grounded in the real world. And then you can also make the other mistake of having both feet firmly grounded in this world and just live in despair of how bad things are and be absent of hope. And I think James's call is to have an everyday faith. We've got to have one foot in each place. And the mechanism to accomplish that is prayer. And so he ends his book was sort of this essential practice of everyday faith. Helping people like me to see that prayer is so, so important. So may you experience new life and encouragement 
in your prayer life today. Would you join me for a moment in placing one foot in heaven and praying together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize today that it's been a year and it has been so tough in so many ways. Many of us find ourselves physically and emotionally and spiritually exhausted. And so, God, we pray for your healing. We pray for an end to this pandemic. We are so, so thankful that we're able to be in person for worship today. We're so thankful for the news of of case counts going down and death tolls going down and all of that. We pray, Lord, for your continued healing. We pray, God, for the specific challenges that are largely unnamed that the people in this room are facing. We ask, God, that your grace would be sufficient for each of us that each one would be motivated toward a life of prayer. Help us, help us, Lord, to see and to recognize the value of not just talking to you in prayer, although prayer is certainly that, but to, to, to join in the model of Jesus in praying that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so Lord, motivate us today, encourage us today so that we might more faithfully stand in the gap. And now Lord, as we turn our attention to celebrate and to remember the meal that you gave us, recognizing that this also is a practice in in which heaven and earth meet. So God, fill us with your presence as we gather around your table. We pray it in Jesus' name.